It says this in Psalm 119, 105. It says, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, I'm not going to even preach from this, but I want it to give a framework for us to understand how we approach the word of God and how it relates to our lives. Because if we think that the word of God is a book written to us just so that we can read it and have all of the boundaries and rules that we have to follow or else, then we miss it. But the word of God is so much more than that. It is meant to be something, if you think about it, a lamp unto your feet. Light in those days was a commodity. Wasn't always easy to come by in the dark. If you didn't have fuel, it was much harder to be able to have sustained light. It wasn't a flashlight. You didn't have a light on your phone. There was nothing like that. So light, what it says, the, the word of God is a lamp unto your feet, meaning it exposes where you're at. Helps you to discern where you're at. How, you, how many of you have ever been confused in your life? You had a confusing season, something difficult to walk through. What he's saying, what, what the psalmist is saying here, is that the word of God helps expose what is dark in you so you can see where you're at. But it also gives you a light for where you're going. The unique thing about the word of God is that it is able to tell you where you're at and help you to know where you're going. If you're not careful, if you and I are not careful, we will miss the opportunity to allow God's word to shape our lives, to help us to understand what we need, and help us to understand where we need to go. Does it make sense? So your relationships, your sexuality, how much more important is it that we would understand that the word of God helps us to discern where it's at, and discern where it needs to go. I hope you're with me tonight. Actually, why don't you do this? Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. I know it's warm outside, middle of the summer, midsummer blues. Okay? I want you to turn and face someone next to you. Turn and face someone next to you. Now, I want you to put your... your, uh, your fingers on their temple, just right here, and just kind of massage it a little bit. Wake them up. Wake them up a little bit. Now turn to your other neighbor. Turn to your other neighbor. Turn to your other neighbor, and I just want you to lightly slap their cheeks a little bit. Lightly slap their cheeks. There we go. All right, you can grab your seats. Sit down. So, now that you're awake, Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I want to read one other scripture in 1 Thessalonians. I want you to follow along with me. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll read in verse 1. It says, as for other matters, the Apostle Paul has been writing to the church at Thessalonica, he's been addressing all sorts of different things, and the church in these days was a cultural, uh, it was, it was um, a very difficult culture to be a Christian in. And so Paul is writing to these people to encourage and to challenge them and to spur them on to keep going, to not quit, to not give up. And he says, brothers and sisters, we instruct, instructed you how to live in order to please God. 
as in fact you're already living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do this more and more. In other words, don't quit. Keep doing it. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans. Other translations say the Gentiles who do not know God. That's an interesting thing. You should be sanctified. Avoid sexual immorality. Learn to control your body in a way that's holy. Different. Holy means different. Different than the people who don't know God. A.K.A. the way we live is not the same as the way that they live. Are you better than them? No. Are you any different? No, you all need God. They need God. We all need God. But we live differently because we have a different vision. I hope you know that. You are not called to look, act, talk, and sound the same as everybody else. If you do, then you don't know God. He says, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. What he's saying is it's just as important how you live as how you treat others. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but rejects God, the very one who gives us his Holy Spirit. Avoid sexual immorality. Learn to control your own body, not in lust like those who don't know God. So all that to say, it's a long passage. What he's saying is live in such a way that everything that you do is with the ambition that you would please God with it. In other words, with your relationships, the goal should not be that you please yourself, but that you please God. The goal in your career should not be that you would please yourself, though you should make it your aim to make a ton of money, because I think it's great. You can build a great house and you can give a lot away. So please, try and make money. But your goal in life, in everything that you do, is not for yourself. You are not the end. The goal of it is that you would glorify God, and in doing so, it would cause others to want to know God as well. So the aim for all of us, every single one of us, young, old, big, small, cool, not so cool, Uh, you know, wealthy, not so much. The goal in everything that we do, even if you're just brand new to following Jesus, the goal is the same. That in your life, the aim is that we would please God, not ourselves. So when you sign up to follow Jesus, you're signing up inherently not only to follow him, but to leave behind the old ways of thinking that you had. Live in order to please God. So the point of our sexuality, the point of our relationships, the point of everything is that we would please God. And this is not one of those things where, you know, because I know like Colossians, uh, I think it's Colossians 1, it says that for him and through him and by him and, 
and, and everything, it's, everything was created by God and for God. It's for him. So everything. But it's not like, like I, I was watching a sermon recently, and this guy was like, you know, if, you're, if, if you have a guitar, you need to use it for the Lord. Who was it? Was that, I think it was watching with Jake. And we're like, and it's, 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 that's such a cliche, like, you know, surface level thing. I'm not trying to say, like, if you drink a bottle of water, you know, are you doing it to please God or please yourself? You know? Well, to be honest, I don't really care if God thinks I'm thirsty because I am. And I, I, if I could open the bottle, oh, my goodness. I just want some water. And I'm going to please myself with this. Okay. Um, moving on. The goal is not that we would have this immature view of how we relate to God. The goal would be that we'd be the kind of people who when we survey our life, when I survey my relationships and my friendships, my marriage, my kids, that it's important that the whole aim is not that I would build these walls for myself and this empire that says, look at me. The goal would be that God would see it and God would be pleased. And when God sees you, God wants to be able to smile at how you're living. Now, when God sees you, if you believe in Jesus, then he sees his son when he looks at you. But God has now called us because Jesus loved us so much, gave everything for us. Now God has called us to live in such a way that honors God and points other people to be able to see the same thing that we got to see when God saved us. Are you tracking with me? In other words, the aim of your life is to please God. The aim of your world, the aim of your future The aim of your relationships, the aim of your desires. Please, God. I want to speak over the next few minutes on this subject, existentialism on prom night. Existentialism on prom night. If you need to know, (laughs) if you need to know how to spell existentialism, write out exist and then entialism and uh, it'll work out for you. Existentialism on prom night. Let's pray and we'll get into it. God, thank you so much for, for your word. And uh, we thank you, God, that as it gets into us, it shapes how we live. God, we all recognize that in different ways, each and every one of us has adjustments that we need to make. Let us never think, God, that you are weighing down on us with your commands so much as wanting to lift us into a life that is ever more fulfilling as we follow you. God, let that be our aim that we'd be fulfilled in our relationships with you and with others. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you have ever um, been out to eat or to a place where you were going to eat, but you didn't have any money. Like, you ever been out to a restaurant? Uh, here's the worst, is when, we, when I've been with groups of people and someone who doesn't have any money in the group still orders their food, and it's never like a half-price appetizer. It's always like the, the steak sampler platter, the $21.95 meal at Applebee's. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't have any money. I just assumed someone else would pay for it. Anyone ever had someone like that? No, just me. Okay. I, uh, I remember one time, Noelle and I, we were, uh, we were on our way to a function for a friend whose birthday party, and 
these friends were in a field where a lot of the people that they knew uh, were quite well off. They worked very high-level executive kind of jobs in, in fashion and in, um, you know, in tech. And, you know, one guy, is a, a couple people were high, high, high up Boeing executives, other people high up in Amazon. Another guy owns a BMW dealership kind of stuff. Like, these guys are wealthy. So we go to this party, and we're, we're, we're just going for our friends. We're like, we're the youth pastors at this church over here. Oh, that's cool, you know. I make millions of dollars. You suck, you know. So, but we go to this thing, and we're, we're, we had talked on our way before. We're like, okay, let's split something. Let's just, you know, get one thing. You know, you eat a fry, I'll eat a fry. We'll be happy. We'll just tell people we're not that hungry. Um, and so we get there, and we're, we have determined. We were like, we're set. We're not going to splurge. We don't have the money to spend all this money. I mean, it was a fancy restaurant, and it's in downtown Seattle, beautiful restaurant and really elegant and so we get there and we're, we're doing okay and then we start to see all of the people that are at the table and like I said you know Boeing executives and all these people and there's this one guy who had actually we knew before and he was the kindest guy he'd let us use their his apartment when we were in California and he's got he's just got wealth after you know money and cars and houses and he's he is rolling in the dough and so we we, we see him there and, and Noel's like I wonder if he's just going to pay for the whole table. And we start talking about, we're like, yeah, there's no way he's not going to pay for the whole table. <laughs> he's so loaded. I mean, look at how nice he's being to everyone. We can start to feel like he's going to pay for the whole table. Let's go for it. And so we're like, all right, let's just order. We think he's going to pay. We can feel it in our bones. And so I order a steak, she orders a steak, we get the sides. I get extra mashed potatoes, and a side of mashed potatoes that are $15, two sides, no big deal. Got the corn, you know, got the baked potato, got the side of bacon for the baked potato, got the steaks, got the everything. We, we did the salad to start. <laughs> we got an appetizer in addition to the salad. We went ham on this stuff. We went so crazy. We got the desserts. We actually literally got three desserts, one that we each wanted and one that we were unsure about. We went crazy. We went crazy on this, on this meal. And I remember when the server came back to start dropping off the checks, we're just like, we're waiting. Like, he's going to, he's, we're waiting for him to pull out his card and say, hey, server, can, can, can we just put it on this? And then I remember the, the, the fatal moment when he set his card down on his own receipt. And did not invite the rest of the table to partake in his card. But instead gave the server his card for his receipt. And everyone else proceeds to start to pay their own tab. And suddenly we realize we're about to spend $300 on a meal that we planned to spend $40 on. It's the worst. It's so funny. And the funny thing is, is the only reason that we ordered all of that food is because we thought that somebody else was going to pay for it. But in reality, in the end, we ended up paying for what we thought somebody else would pay for. At least we thought we would not have to pay for it. It's interesting what happens when you think that there's no consequence or there's no cost for your actions. The way that you live shows that. It's funny that many people live in such a way that there are no boundaries because they think that there are no consequences. 
I'm not here to say, if you do this, you're in trouble. God will smite you. Not in the least. But here is what I am here to say. Is that the reason that God created us, and even before sin set up boundaries, is because he, there is a way that life was meant to be experienced. And if we get outside of the boundaries of how it was meant to be experienced, we start experiencing something outside worse than, less than, outside of God's design for it. And so what happened to us in this restaurant, we thought that we weren't going to have to reap what we sowed by ordering this food, but in the end, we still ended up having to pay quadruple what we ever anticipated paying. This is what happens in our lives is sometimes we want the benefit of boundaries, but we want to be able to live as if there are none. We want to be able to live as if our own truth is the highest truth. Live your truth. You ever heard someone say that? You do you, boo. You do whatever you want. If it feels good, go for it. Or sometimes it's like, who are you to tell me how I should live? Well, I'm not. But I am going to tell you the results of your lack of boundaries will cause you to still have to pay for what you're sowing. And it's not a punishment so much as it's a principle. That if you plant seed, friends, unless it's in my grass under my tree where the water won't, it just the rain doesn't hit it and the grass does not grow. But beyond there... If you plant seeds, they will reap something. And if you plant seeds of a lifestyle that is outside of what God's plan was, no, God is not mad at you, but yes, you will begin to see the fruit of the seeds you planted. Not here to weigh you down with it. I'm not here to bash it over your head. I'm not here to say that if you run off that we won't run after you or that we won't love you still. No, you belong no matter what you believe, what you do, no matter what? But you will see the fruit of the seeds that you sow. I want to give us two kind of main ideas that hopefully I can loop back around and will help us to understand um, this idea. I want to give us two ideas. There are two ideas. Um, one is this idea of existentialism. Now, if you know what this is, raise your hand. Okay, two or three hands, great. And the other idea is sexual ethic. These two, well, this plus this equals, well, I'll get to it. So existentialism, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Existentialism is a form of atheism. In its truest sense, you could say, if there was a really, really simple way to identify existentialism, it would be living as if there's no God. Living as if there's no, no God. If you want the official definition, it's when a person, unbound by any restrictions, determines their own development and direction through acts of their own will. I'll say it again. I'm not going to write that down. I can't write fast enough. When a person, unbound by any restriction, 
meaning unrestricted, unrestrained. There's no chains, there's nothing, there's no boundaries, nothing stopping a person. When a person is unrestricted, they determine their own development and direction by their own will. See, Paul is writing in, in the context of these days, the cultural norms, the culture was often led by people who didn't know God. So the cultural norm was sexual immorality. The cultural norm was sleeping with someone who wasn't your spouse. The cultural norm was if you like it, feel it. Go for it. Do it. Do whatever you want. If it feels good, it's natural. God put that in you. So why not just go for it? That was the cultural norm. The cultural norm were, uh, were there, there were, there were um, idols and gods and goddesses that represented sex. And it almost gave you this pinnacle of what to reach for. And there was this euphoric, um, uh, there was this feeling that people were always trying to get. And so sexuality was a means to get to this utmost level. Like it was, I want to reach this euphoria. I want to reach this feeling. It would be amazing. And so people did whatever they wanted to try and reach that euphoric feeling. So sexuality was this unbound, crazy thing. So Paul was not writing to a bunch of people who easily agreed with him. He was actually writing to people who had decided to follow Jesus within a culture that was opposite of how Jesus was, saying, if you want to survive as a Christian, even though you're in this culture, you're going to have to live a different way than this culture says is right. I hope it sounds familiar. Because you live in a culture that says one thing. And I want to, I, I know that the, 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 the media and people and your Snapchat friends or whatever, I'm old, I don't, it, I know that they make compelling arguments for what should be right. And I know that they poke fun at and say that those are old ways. The Bible is an old book. It talks about old things. That was then, this is now. But friends, the word of God does not change. God created us with purpose and intent from the beginning of time. And though our culture changes, and though the language changes, and though the avenue and the, the, the vessel changes, and style changes, and all sorts of things change, the word of God does not change. And the standard of God does not change. The desire for God to see us near him, and like him, and reflecting his image does not change. Change till the end of time. God's goal for you is that you would be who you're called to be by Him, that you would reflect the image of God, of your Creator who put His DNA and His love and His compassion and His kindness and His purpose into your life. Before this earth was ever formed, God created you and He said, I have intent for you, I have good things ahead for you, and I want you to reflect that not as a mandate, but as an opportunity to, for God to look down on us and say, Wow, look at my creation. Do you see what he's doing? That is a stud. I created him. I'm, I'm pretty awesome, but he's great too. That is what God sees you like. God wants you to reflect his image. God's goal for you is that you would reflect his image. But Paul says, learn to control your own body in a holy and honorable way, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Existentialism is where your passions 
Your feelings in the moment determine how and why you live. Or your passion is in charge. You know, we talk a lot about passion in church world, you know, passion for God. But when passion leads you, it's a dangerous place. Because passion is, it's emotional. If you're not careful, what God gave you as a gift becomes what's in charge of you. Your emotions, friends, hear me, hear me, hear me. How you feel is not in charge of you. You're in charge of it. But you get to give it permission if you want. You can tell, my, you can tell your feelings of confusion in your heart, what you think you felt from the day you were born. I don't want to for a second negate the reality and the depth and the difficulty of those things. But what I am here to say is that God is bigger than your feelings and you were never meant to be dictated by or following your feelings. You can feel all sorts of great and absurd things, but all the same, you're still in charge of it. God gave them to you. You are in charge of your feelings. They are not in charge of you. Too many people these days are bound by their feelings. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, how God doesn't like it when there are idols. Why? Sometimes our feelings are our idols, and they take charge of us. And God's like, I don't want you to be bound. Stop being burdened by a yoke of slavery. Stop being subject to your feelings, your anxiety, your depression, the dark thoughts in the middle of the night. They're real, but they're not more real than God. Not only that, but they aren't in charge of you. You can tell your thoughts what to do. You can say, get out of my house, you idiot. Go ahead, swear at your thoughts. Say, get out of here. You don't belong in here. This is the house of God, and this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, you don't have permission. Now, it doesn't negate the reality of them. It just says that you're not in, they're not in charge of you. You are in charge of them. But existentialism says my passion is in charge. Or it might say culture is in charge. Or it might say groupthink is in charge. So whatever the average of everybody else around me thinks is in charge. No, it's not. But you can let it be in charge. So you've got existentialism. Existentialism is passion. It's, it's feelings. It's um, no God. And all of these things are what are in charge. Are you tracking with me? Not a way to live. You can, but it's not a good way to live. Okay, so we keep going. Sexual ethic. Sexual ethic is this. It is a culture or a group of people or a person's values or attitudes towards sex. So every culture, every group of people, every society, every family, every individual has a cultural or a sexual ethic. It's how we see sex. So if we were to define it just simply, it's how you See, sex. Sex. Remember in first grade, someone wrote sex on the chalkboard. Didn't have whiteboards yet. And they got in big trouble. <laughs> that spelling word doesn't come till fourth grade. <laughs> I remember everyone was like, did you see? 
that mean? I don't know. My parents talk about it sometimes. It's a bad word. (laughs) And everyone's like, oh, now I'm having all these memories flood back. That's okay. That's how I was made. What? What does, let me get some feedback here. What does our culture say about sex? How does our culture feel about sex? Just shout out some words. What's that? Depends on, sure, but give me, okay, think within your school, within uh, social media, what, what is the internet, what is, what is the common average of what people think about sex? What? Okay, stay safe. That is the worst. Hey, let me tell you this. If this right here is your highest sexual value, you are missing out on great sex. But anyways. I'm serious. If the only thing that drives your sexuality is what you're trying to not do, then friends, can I tell you, you don't have a vision. You are bound by an improper view of sex. Can I tell you, this was never meant to be the purpose of sex. Reproduction? I better rescue this quick, huh? Nothing special. Nothing special. What else? Okay, any others? Okay, love. Lust. Okay, no big deal. Okay, that's good. Okay. So we've got a sexual ethic that our culture says, stay safe. This is called virtue signaling, where they try and make this virtuous thing when in reality they've thrown out all virtue and all sacredness about sex a long time ago. Anyways, stay safe. It's about reproduction, absolutely. Um, It's more, but that's a great part. I have two childs I created, well, I (laughs) co-created. Anyways. Anyways, lust, nothing special, no big deal. A simple transaction between two people. It's just sex. To each their own. If we're not careful, here's what we'll do. And I don't know if you've ever known Christians like this. Maybe you've been a Christian like this. And if you have, let's start fresh, okay? But if we're not careful... We will say that we believe in God, but when we do this, what we're really saying is this. There is no God, because if there was God, who God is would shape my character and how I see everything. Friends, you cannot halfway follow.
follow Jesus. You can't. It's li- you literally, literally, <laughs> literally, you cannot. You can't say, I believe in God, and I don't want to negate a real experience that you had. If you had a moment with God, you did. And your desire to do other things that please your flesh, they don't change God's love for you. But it might cause me to question, do you really love God? Do you really know God? Has God really had an impression on your life? Because he did, if he did, no, you would not be perfect. But yes, you would begin to desire a character that reflects the character of God. You hear Pastor Steve tell a story all the time. He did not grow up. In a super Christian home, his mom committed suicide after two dozen attempts. Very dark situation. If you haven't heard his story, you need to come on Sundays. He tells it all the time. It's very dark, very difficult. And by God's grace, someone in the shipyard that he worked with bugged him long enough to come to church. And through a journey, him and my mom both got saved. They did drugs. They partied. They did all sorts of crazy stuff. And... um, I know they may look like, you know, they're just, you know, normal pastor people, but they used to be whack. And, uh, but I, you hear him talk about it. You hear him talk about it. Or Chester Gross, someone who was a part of this church long, long, long time ago, early founding pastor, left life of drug use and this gradual progression of growing. And God never made them perfect overnight. Pastor Steve, you talked about, he, you know, there were times where he felt like, okay, I need to, I need to say goodbye to this group of friends because they're pulling me down. Okay, I need to start giving. I need to start doing this. And one thing after another, growth and progression. God will never ask you to be perfect. But God does demand as he works on our character that we grow. And if we're not growing, the question is, are we allowing God into our life? Because we can, we can say all day, I'm a believer. But if I'm not allowing God's character to rub off on mine, and friends, this will cause tension, especially if you are a stubborn person who believes things that might be one with the culture. If you're not careful, you will look at things that you believe and you even have a deep conviction about. And you shut off God's character from being able to have a say. I never want to get to the point where I'm so deeply rooted in what I've always believed. That the Holy Spirit, who God gave to me, as this passage says, that the Holy Spirit's not able to have a word. Are you hearing me? If you're not careful in your life, you will build up all these walls that you think are so good and important. And they may even be good plans and good things and good relationships in your mind. And, and people around you may even say, yay, yay, yay. Look at you. You're so great and nice and you smile a lot and, and all this stuff. But God's over here saying, hey, hey, got something to say. God has something to say about your relationships. God has something to say about your sexuality. God has something to say about your future. Guess what? He wrote it. He, he finished it before you ever got there. God's got something to say about it. And if we allow him to, he doesn't have burden and heavy and bad and dark and just all awful in the future. God knows the plans he has for us, says the Lord. Plans for a future and a hope, not, not darkness and calamity, but prosperity, good things. God has great things in store for your future. 
So when we think about boundaries, we think it's restricting, but really it's freeing. An existential sexual ethic. All right. Sex ethic. An existential sexual ethic is this, and I want you to write this down. It's an unrestricted, anything-goes view of sex where one's own desires or cultural norms are in charge. I'll say it again. An, un, or an ex, existential sexual ethic is an unrestricted, anything-goes view of sex. An unrestricted, no boundaries, no limits, anything-goes view of sex. Where your own desires or the cultural norms around you are in charge. This is our culture in a nutshell. So that's what I leave you with. Go out and hate the world, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. I don't want it to think, I don't want you to think for a second that I hate this culture. No, I, I like my jean jacket. <laughs> I like my Instagram. I posted a question today, and I thought no one was responding, but I didn't know you had to, like, swipe up on it. No one asked me any good questions, though. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it, though. It brought me moments of joy. I, I enjoy Instagram. I know Josiah doesn't. He's Australian. Um, but <laughs> love you, Josiah. I like it. I like my car. I like... Fashion, sort of. I enjoy things that our culture has. But my culture does not dictate how I see the world. Doesn't dictate how I see others. It doesn't dictate how I see politics. That's a scary one. God and his word is what dictates how I see. And if you are a Christian, you don't get the option of defining culture or defining your future or defining your worldview or defining sexuality. Guess what? God already did it when he created it. And when he created you, he said, I've got a plan. But when sin entered the world, guess what? It made this whole thing real Messy, which is why we need the word of God to define how we see our lives, how we see our future, how we see sexuality, how we see our relationships as comforting and fun as they are. Doesn't matter. What matters is, am I living to please God? I even heard recently I was watching a debate on Facebook and someone said get your religion out of here who who does your God think he is to tell me how I'm supposed to live and I'll tell you he's your creator he gets to tell you how you live he defined how to live and not only that 
He gave you everything that you needed to be able to live, so much so that when he saw that you couldn't do it, he sent his son to die and take your place so that you could become God's righteousness and live out your purpose on this earth without condemnation, without looking at your past to define you, but understanding that Jesus and what he already did defines you. God gave you everything, so absolutely he has a right to speak over your life and tell you how you ought to live. And he doesn't do it with a controlling hand. He does it by saying, I want to lift you up. There's a better way of living. There's so much more for you. And it's up there, so I'm going to lift you to it. But it's going to take some tension. It's going to take some freaky stuff. It's going to take at times you saying no to how you used to be. I hope you're tracking with me. Existentialism. It's atheism. It's living as if there is no God doesn't matter what you say you believe. If you're living this way, it might reflect a lack of allowing God into your life. And friends, it's no way to live. If we're not careful, we find ourselves. Where does prom night have to do with this? <laughs> it really doesn't. The reason prom night is such an appropriate title is because you think about what happens at prom night, you know, you're in the back of the limo or, right? <laughs> Ew, that doesn't happen. Or you're at the house or maybe it's not prom night, but you're in the back seat of the car or you're up late after the movie when mom and dad are in bed. Hashtag nothing good ever happens after midnight. And it doesn't matter if you're there or you're in the parking lot trying to blow up our parking cones with fireworks. That didn't happen last week, did it? <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> what happens, here's what happens, friends. And I'm going to end in just a few minutes. Here's what happens. Is we find ourselves in a moment. Okay? Track with me. You're in a moment. Backseat of the car, 3 a.m. on the computer, at the abortion clinic. I don't know where it is, okay? Every moment's different. Let's take sex out of it. You find yourself in a moment where you're invited to do something that you know deep down God has not called you to do. You're invited to go to a place where everybody there, you know what's going to happen there, and you feel this conflict because you want to fit in or you want to do what feels good but you want to do what's right. And if you don't have an ethic that drives how you live in those moments, what's going to win out? It's whatever your flesh wants. So if you want sex, you'll find it. If you want euphoria, you'll drink enough until you find it. If you want... If you want the feelings... you want the feelings, you'll go and find them. Because what drives you is your feelings. But when you have an ethic, when you have an ethic that is shaped by the word of God, where your life is not to please yourself, but it's to please God, then in those moments, there's no option. It's not a decision. You already decided the moment you said, Jesus, I'll follow you with everything I've got. 
from this day forward, I'm deciding not to go that way anymore. I'm going this way. So I don't give a rat's butt if I have to say no to all these friends. I don't, have to, I don't care if i got to break up with the dude because he's trash anyways and he's manipulative. I don't care if I have to block all these people. I don't care if i got to delete my social media apps. Because what drives me is not the acceptance of people, but what drives my life is an ethic that is framed by the word of God because I'm not living for right now. I'm living for eternity and I don't have time to waste when people are coming to me needing what I've got saying I'm going to compromise. I'm going to live this way but say that I believe in God. No, you don't. Because if you did, it would shape how you live. God has not called us to live this way God has called us to set people free that live this way. Because this is not freedom, friends. This is bondage. This is chains. This is darkness. You and I have all known somebody, maybe sitting next to you, maybe it is you, who you know the results of this. Met with someone this week, this week, who I've known for many years. This week, this very week, real story, grew up in church, known God their whole life, went back and forth, eventually got married, came back to God, through a series of events, left God, left the church, decided they didn't want to believe in God anymore. Which, by the way, through it all, the constant communication from us, those of us that knew this person, was always, man, we love you, let's go get food. You know, let's still hang out, you're still welcome here, you're still part of the fam. Which, by the way, you ever run from God, friends, you're not running from us. You're still part of the family. We still love you. You're always accepted. You're always home because that's how God sees you. And when we run, God runs farther, okay? So make no question about that. But what he didn't realize is that by tossing out God and getting rid of community, all of a sudden his ethic went away from it. And now being married wasn't enough. So why not add two, three, four, or five other women into the mix to spice up things. Why not just be polyamorous? Why not just add these things? And now sitting with this person who is reeling from the effects of the life that they chose, they're wondering, why did this happen? It's because you thought freedom was freedom, but in reality, you just invited bondage into your life. Why? It wasn't because God didn't love him. God still does. In fact, God will not give up on him, and neither will I. And I know there are too many people in his corner just bashing him over the head with love that he's going to get it someday. But friends, what he's now dealing with is the fruit of the seeds that he planted. An existential sex ethic. If you're not careful, you will put yourself into moments that you hope never come, and then you won't have the fortitude to withstand the moment. Friends, I know this from experience. This isn't me watching. This isn't me being the old fogey youth pastor. This is me being a 17-year-old high school student who whittled down at my sexual ethics so long that I made decisions in those moments. I didn't have the fortitude to withstand the pressure. The question isn't, will the pressure come? The pressure came for Noel and I five days before our wedding day. I'd already moved home from school. I'd already finished college. We were already, we already, I mean, it was all planned out. 
five days away. Five days. And in those moments, I can guarantee you, when you get to the point where you're ready to get married to, you'll feel it. Five days away. And I can, I, I can tell you, the thoughts of, we're only five days away, what does it matter anymore? We're, we're, we're committed to each other, we love each other, we're getting married anyways. Those thoughts came in. And I'm thankful in those moments that we had, though there was some pressure, let me tell you. Anyways, won't go into details. But we withstood the pressure because we knew that God created sex to be sacred. And we were able to say, in spite of the past, and each of us had a different kind of past, I had a different kind of past that I brought some things into our relationship. I've talked about it before. I won't talk about it in detail here. But we were able to say, look each other in the eye and say, we waited. We saved this. This is special. And it's not something we're sharing with anybody else. Can I tell you, there's nothing more special than that. Now you might be saying, well, what about me? I've already been there. Already done it. Already lived the lifestyle of that. This is in my past, my past relationships. What I would say to you is, God makes all things new. And when you put your faith in Christ, guess what? You're a new creation. What does first, uh, Second Corinthians say? All the old things have passed away. All things have been made new. Does that mean you brush over it? No. In fact, expose it real hard. Get the light on it. Let that darkness bleed out. You may need some time and process out of relationships. You may need some conversation. But I'm here to tell you that doesn't define who you are. And from this day forward, you can decide how you want to live. But you got to build. This takes time. It's a foundational thing. It takes time. It's a sexual ethic. It's what drives you. I have so many thoughts. And it's 8.33, so I'm going to end at 8.35. I want to give you three thoughts. Write them down real quick. And I'm not even going to go into them. Number one, when you have an, a, an ex- existential sexual ethic, number one, the moment leads you. It's all about how you feel. Number one, the moment leads you. It's all about how you feel. When you have an existential sexual ethic. Number two, culture builds your sexual framework. Culture builds your framework. Culture builds your framework. Number three, you'll only stick to your convictions when it gets you somewhere. Ooh, that's a good one. Not because they're real convictions, but because they were convenient. There's a scripture in the Old Testament talking about a king who said, you eat and you drink. You receive the benefits, but in reality, your hearts, they're far from me. Anyways, number one, the moment leads you. Number two, culture builds your framework. Number three, you only stick to your convictions when it gets you somewhere, not because they're actual convictions. But a God-centered sexual ethic, let me give you three quick thoughts here. Your view of sex is rooted in how God sees you. Your view of sex is rooted in how God sees you. Number two, your view of sex is different than the world's. Your view of sex is different than the world's. The view of sexuality that you have is different than the world. The view of sexual identity that you have is different than the world. And guess what? Your compassion's louder too. Your love is louder too. Your acceptance is louder too. 
your willingness to go into places nobody else will go because they judge is louder too. So friends, don't for a second think that your holiness is an excuse. No, your holiness is an excuse for you to be more compassionate, more loving, more open, more embracing, more of the kind of person who says, come near to me because I've got all the love that you need because God loved me when I didn't deserve it, so I'm going to love you too. Anyways. Number three, the decisions you make in the moments submit to your convictions. The decisions you make in the moments submit to your convictions, not your feelings. The decisions that you make in moments submit to your convictions. But here's the kicker. You got to have convictions that you put in charge. You're in a relationship, guess what? You don't stay up late. Your parents go to bed. Guess what? You jump off the couch, dudes, and you run out of that house. And you don't stay past midnight. Unless the parents are late night, like night owls, and you're playing Settlers of Catan with them. But other than that, get out of the house. Or Monopoly, whatever game you choose. I'm more of a Settlers guy. Can I just get the keys up? I, I said I'd land at 8.35. I lied, Will. 8.38. But hey, friends, here's the, here's, here's the practical. Relationships, sexuality, your own personal stuff. Young men, this is a struggle. I struggled at age 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and so on and so forth. What has to change is you have to identify what you need to grow in. You need to write it down, and you need to set clear boundaries. Not, obs- not obscure, not ambiguous, not gray area, not like, well, you know, if I, you know I'm going to like do this less. It doesn't work. Be clear. Decide what you want. Get a vision. This is number four. Last thought. Get a vision for what you want. Where's God trying to take you? What does God have for you? Because that will pull you forward much further than what you're trying to avoid. I'm not trying to get you to avoid this stuff, friends. I don't really care about this stuff. What I want you to do is live out your life in a way that is so fulfilling that you are a magnetic person to everybody around you, that people see the life and the love and the compassion and the joy inside your heart, and they want what you've got. Is it cliche? Yes. Is it true? Absolutely. God has called each and every one of us in different ways to live a life that reflects, shines, bounces off the image of God onto others. But if we're not careful, we lose in the moments. We've got to develop a sexual ethic. Friends, beyond sexuality, we have to develop a conviction lifestyle that says, I'm here to live according to the word of God, not according to my feelings. Some of you need to do some real, no, listen, listen, listen. You need to do real business with God and decide, who do I want to follow? Who do I want to be? I believe camp's going to be a huge catalyst for this. Camp is going to be huge for some of you guys but you've got to allow God to define not you, not your culture, and sometimes not your teachers, sometimes not the media, 
Sometimes not social media. Sometimes not the negative words other people have spoken over you. Nothing defines who you are. God's word does. He says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He said he predestined works for you, good works, good things ahead for you. He's got prosperity. He's got great work, uh, great relationships for you. God has great things in store for you. Believe that, not the lies that the world tells you. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not gonna have you come forward. I wish I could. I got like 9,000 other points. Deal with it. I wanna pray. I want every person in here to put your hand on your heart right now. I wanna pray for you. And I believe that there's some people in here, you got a broken sexual history. It may include abuse. It may include going too far. It may include messed up frameworks that people have held over you. I don't know what it is. God is a healer and God's gonna set you free from that. It's one and done right now in this moment. It will be a process, but God right now is healing. God is setting you free from mindsets, beliefs about yourself, beliefs about your future, beliefs about your future spouse, beliefs about your future kids, beliefs about your own heart, beliefs about your own identity, things people have spoken over you. I'm claiming even now in Jesus' name, those things are broken. They have no longer any hold over your life. You'll be married, you're gonna have an amazing marriage. You're gonna be a life-giving partner. You're gonna be the most encouraging person. Yeah, your dad was angry, but you won't be. You're gonna be encouraging and uplifting. You're gonna be a joy for your spouse. Your kids are going to love you. Be so thankful for you. Are things in your past? Yes, but it's only going to be a part of your story that brings glory to God and sets others free speaking these things prophetically over some of you. You've held things over your life for so long, but they don't belong there because God set you free from it. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. God no longer wants you bound. God wants you set free. I believe that God is doing, even in this moment, a deep work. Here's what I want to ask you to do. There's two things. One, some of you need to write stuff down right away, right after service or when you get home. Commitments that you're making. Others of you, you need to talk to a leader tonight. Begin the process of healing or restoration or a new vision, whatever it might be. I believe that God's gonna continue to do great stuff. God, thank you so much that you're setting us free. God, you're giving us a new framework and a new foundation to live by. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. Hey, would you stand up with me? Stand up. Um, if you want these points, I won't give them to you, but they're on the, they're going to be on the podcast. So go subscribe, okay? We'll have that posted tonight. You can write this stuff down. Give, uh, give three people a high five on your way out. God bless you guys. We'll see you Sunday. See you next week.